Welcome back to the program. This is Tom Carnum with Father Nagel, and Father Nagel is going to lead us off with a scripture reading and a prayer. I'd like to begin with chapter 11 of Hosea, verses 1 through 4, 4, 4a. When Israel was a child, I loved him. Out of Egypt, I called my son. The more I called them, the farther they went from me, sacrificing to the Baals and burning incense to idols. Yet it was I who taught Ephraim to walk, who took them in my arms. I drew them with human cords, with bands of love. Gracious God, we ask your blessings upon us today. And um, you know, and we ask you to just be blessed this time we spend on uh, the Sacred Heart Radio Show and the Sound Insight, that those who listen might truly find insights uh, that rise and are inspired by your Holy Spirit. And so bless this time with that spirit we ask through Christ our Lord. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen. Thank you so much, Father. Well, today, the day that we're pre-recording this program is the day of the funeral of Pope Emeritus Benedict XVI. And so last week on the program, I was um, honoring Pope Benedict <clears throat> by uh, bringing up certain quotes of his writings. Often they were from uh, his time when he was a, a theologian, then uh, Cardinal Ratzinger, and the work that he was doing then. Uh, but then also Pope, when he was uh, uh, exercising his pontificate, he also did a, a number of amazing, uh, he, he produced a number of amazing documents and, and teachings and homilies and, and all of that. And I thought it would be fitting uh, on the day that we're pre-recording here, and this is our first time, Father Nagel, to yeah. reflect on uh, Pope Benedict's uh, writings and, and, and even a bit on his life. So today, when we get to the writings, we're going to focus on a, a theme that I think is very fitting, the Sacred Heart. And that showed up in a very powerful way when he launched the Year for Priests. Father Nick, I don't know if you remember that. It was in 2009. It was the 150th anniversary of the, um, of the death of St. John Vianney. And it was he launched the year during the month of June. Uh, and in fact, I think he did so close to or on the feast of the the solemnity of the uh, most sacred heart of Jesus. Mm -hmm. So the theme of the sacred heart showed up quite profoundly, especially in in this particular homily. So we're going to have a chance to reflect on that today. And what a you know that was very fitting. Here we are on Sacred Heart Radio, and here right. you are, the pastor of Sacred Heart in Bellevue. Right. That focusing on the heart of Christ, I think, also gets to one of the fundamental themes that show up again and again in the writings of Pope Emeritus Benedict XVI. So let's just start with that and just talk a little bit about him, his life, his pontificate. And I'd love to hear from you, Father Nagel. Um, what was your reaction when you found out that he had died? And um, did it give you a chance to ponder a bit about the impact that he has had on your life? Yeah, you know, there was a, a little bit of a warning, so it wasn't out of the blue, uh, it was clear for a few days, as you remember, surely that it was, you know, he was, uh, approaching death. And so there, I, it was a good chance to offer prayers for him too, both before and after his death, his last week uh, or so. Um, so that's been, um, that's been part of my reaction. I, it, it was, you know, it was a good chance to kind of remember because it's been 10 years since he resigned. And so, in some ways, he's fallen out of the public eye, more or less. 
And so, you know, I've been reading these articles and uh, listening to these things about Benedict the 16th. And so it's kind of like, oh, yeah, Um, um, I I think that was a a very fruitful time in my own life as a priest uh, during his pontificate. And so. Um, and, and even, I think I mentioned this, there was a book we did in the book club a long time ago, at least quite a ways, Tom. In some ways, I think his, his impact on me as the head of the Congregation of the Doctrine of Faith was, was more impactful um, than his uh, pontificate. Not to, not to deny the, the, his pontificate as, as well, but just some of the, um, who he was and, and sort of how he carried himself. Um, I never really bought into the Ponzer Cardinal mindset. I, I think I always thought of him as someone very grounded in the church and the truth and, and wanting to just pass on the beauty of that. So he, I think he was a great witness uh, to the priesthood um, and also just to the faith in, in difficult times, willing to, willing to be in the, in the present but not being controlled or sort of enslaved by the present way of thinking. One of the things that jumped out at me was that insights that came from him about being Pope often were like framed as this is not something that I wanted. This is not certainly something that I sought out. This is a burden. This is something I'm sort of undergoing. It was completely apart from what I had dreamed of for my life, which is honestly, to my mind, kind of striking because you think of like church politics and ladder climbers and and folks that are priests that make their way up the ranks, if mm-hmm. you will. Yeah. He seemed to be a paradox in the middle of what is often the feel that you get and hear about in, in the world of the church. Do you think that's overstated or or what what are your thoughts on that? I, I don't. I, I I honestly believe that he was he was probably depressed and, and if not depressed, accepting God's will in it. But I'm sure that he was hoping to go back to Germany. It's been reported. He says, you know, as soon as this election's over, I'm going to hopefully get resign my position here before too long and be able to retire. You know, he was, what, 78 or something like that or uh, when he was 77 or something when he was elected pope. I, I don't think he was ever angling. I think what he really wanted to do was be a professor, theology professor and write theology. And eventually he gets pulled into being a bishop and in Germany and then to Congregation Doctrine of the Faith, which he probably would have been okay with it at some level. But the idea of becoming a pope, that wasn't his, again, he wasn't an out front extrovert personality. He was, I don't see him as seeking power at all. And, and we both know, and probably most people listening, there are plenty of priests and bishops who do. Um, but I just don't see that as, as him. Um, partially just the way he reacted. Again, he, he, it, was, it was a duty, I would even say a cross for him. Yeah, uh, you know, I um, it that's certainly the way it came across, and uh, I think you're right that I think where he seemed to flourish the most was as a scholar and a teacher. You know, you hear about um, those students of his, and when we say students, we're talking about those who probably already have a doctorate in theology and are going for their second doctorate, which is kind of the requirement right. in Germany. So he's dealing with incredibly brilliant learned uh, uh, men and women who are hungry to go further. And here he is surrounded by them, looking to him and engaging with him. I think that's where he really probably flourished the most was Mm -hmm. in that kind of context. 
Um, and, and I think he would have liked nothing better than to, after John Paul II's death, to have been able to go back, kind of as right in a retired post, but to continue to form and mentor students and to think and write uh, theology. I think that's that would have been his dream. So when you think about his writings, uh, you mentioned um, like a book. We we did cover a book. I think it was um, yeah, the book was that was on faith, hope, and love, or it was at least on faith. It was um, one or the other. It was like a, some kind of reflections on faith, I think. Because I remember Father Northrop really enjoyed it so much. Um, I think we also did, did we also do a, his book on the infancy narratives? I thought that we did the introduction to Christianity, but I could be wrong about that. Oh, you know, maybe we did that one. Yeah, there, there were, so, there, yeah, there, we certainly had several opportunities to cover books by him. We may have even done, I think at one point I said, um, I think I proposed we do one of his um, selection of essays yeah. on the liturgy. Yeah. And so um, there were a couple of books on that. I think his, I don't remember, what was the name of his more famous one? Um, I'll look it up. But what I was going to ask you was, um, among all of his writings, was there a book that impacted you the most or uh, a homily or a series of teachings? Because he would offer his Wednesday audiences. You remember he did that on profiles on the, you know, gospel, the apostles and then fathers, fathers et cetera. Which I still use for homiletic research, by the way. Do you really? Yeah, I have both the apostles and the fathers of the church. And, you know, feast day comes up, I'll check it out and see what uh, Benedict had to say about it. Nice. (laughs) But is there a book that jumps out at you? Like, for me, it was Principles of Catholic Theology. You're more a theologian than I am. Here's 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 the impact that I had, um, and I but I don't. I, I'm not saying this completely uh, facetiously. I, I do think, I think in some ways one of the biggest impact was his interviews in interview books, uh, Salt of the Earth or something. Well, there was one right. that was yes. that was early on that he spoke frankly but um, wisely about the church and the world and the faith in the world and the church. And I thought, I think in some ways he had more impact upon the world through those books than he did through the books that you're referencing. I think that doesn't mean long-term, but, but I do think that he was, he was a great teacher and in that way. He was also a, a pastor and just, he, he gave a great sense of um, steadiness and firmness in the midst of lots of conflict and, turmoil and things like that, if you remember the 80s and 90s and things like this. So I do think that those, there was a, a German who would interview him a couple times, and, and Grunwald or somebody like that, Peter. And in any case, I think that in some ways was a, had the biggest impact on me in terms of um, getting to know his thought, but also the way in which he, um, his thought played out in my real life as a priest. So it's uh, it, there are so many. He's one of those uh, authors that there's such a breadth of what he covers. Like uh, he's not like he he wasn't trained as a scripture scholar, mm-hmm. but his reflections, <coughs> excuse me, on Jesus of Nazareth. Mm-hmm. You know his two volumes yeah, on that. I did read those. In addition to the infancy narratives, he just covers so much. But then he also covers the fathers of the church. You know he mm-hmm, um, very much so was quite a scholar of Augustine yes. all the way down in the Augustinian tradition. Right. Um, and so, uh, but then the liturgy and, and, mm-hmm. and it was the spirit of the liturgy was the one that I think we covered. Okay. Yes. Um, yes. Yes. So, 
<coughs> excuse me, but um, you know, he he had such a breath of insight in let's call him a cultured man as well. Very much I so. guess he was he yes. was um what a, a really um uh, an expert at playing the piano. Yes. He was like von Balthasar. I hate to give that to you, but you know, <laughs> von Balthasar was a very cultured person as well in terms of literature and music and drama and these sorts of things. And I see Benedict Ratzinger as kind of the same cloth. Well, and it and it makes sense that they were such co- uh, collaborators, mm-hmm. right? You might remember he was the one who gave the funeral homily at von Balthasar's funeral. I did not remember that. Yeah, so that's... That's pretty cool. Yeah. Would you like uh, Would you like the Pope, <laughs> to yeah, get, or the the uh, the um, prefect of the the Congregation for the Doctrine of the Faith to to give your funeral homily? Sure, that'd be pretty cool. <laughs> <laughs> well, there um, there's so much more to say about uh, uh, Pope Benedict the Sixteenth. Uh, again, of course, we encourage you to pray for the repose of his soul. Don't just presume that he is in heaven, uh, but pray for the repose of his soul and that. Uh, that if he has uh, some purification that remains, that he would be able to quickly enjoy his heavenly reward. Um, I think that he will have um, a lasting impact. I think he's one of those uh, popes that has writings that will endure um, beyond just, oh, you can look them up, but no, they'll continue to have an impact. I I, I don't know. Is that your thought as well, Father? I saw an article or two uh, the last few days about whether he'd be a doctor of the church. And, you know, it's interesting. I was thinking about this in terms of John Paul II, too. Um, And I could see John Paul II, I was just thinking in terms of the impactful um, documents that he would write. I think that John Paul II, if you didn't talk to him about Doctor of the Church, it'd probably, I don't know, would it be the Catechism or the News Canon Law, or would it be the Theology of the Body, um, which he sort of develops and certainly he popularizes, which is going to be, just continue to be a huge topic of, again, Christian anthropology. I think he has a lot to say about that. In terms of Benedict XVI, in terms of his, his writings, did he have something specific or a particular area in which he's going to have this huge impact that's going to endure? He certainly, I, and I don't know. Um, but that, I was, those are the kind of questions I was thinking about is with, you know, in light of that article. And, and when John Paul II died, the same thing happened with him. I honestly think I can see John Paul II being declared a doctor of the church more than Benedict. That being said, I think Benedict was probably the more, and this is in the slam on John Paul II, probably more intelligent and brilliant in terms of just his mind and his overall understanding of theology. Uh, in terms of his impact, though, in creativity and long term, I'm probably not the one to judge that, but it just from my own perspective, I think John Paul II's many writings during his long pontificate probably has, will have a bigger impact. That's a really interesting reflection. I, I I like what you said. I mean, I like what you said. Period. But at the end, you said something that like made a flash of insight for me in thinking about it. Is that um, uh, Cardinal uh, Pope Benedict is writes more like von Balthasar, mm-hmm. meaning specifically that he takes what has been given to him and then he makes it fresh and new for our time. Um, rather than being an innovator, mm-hmm. um, he's someone who is able to, you know, draw forth from our tradition amazing insights and make them fresh and make them alive mm-hmm. for our time. Yes, and 
and and I I mean I found that very much in in his writings. Uh-huh. Uh, and John Paul II is a bit more of an innovator with the way that he um, he rooted what he said theologically in his philosophical right. um, methodology and approach, which was a novel thing. Right, this right. this uh, Polish school of philosophy out of which he wrote was a phenomenological. Um, from an, a phenomenologically based approach to Aquinas, which was just a new thing. Right. And and then that rolls over into his theological writings. So, yeah, there is definitely a, a sense of something new there. So I guess that if you look at the history of the church, there are definitely doctors of the church that are in the vein of John Paul II, like Augustine right. and, right. And, a, and Aquinas, for instance. But it feels like there are also those doctors of the church, like, say, Bellarmine, mm, that yeah. has less newness and more. And maybe Bellarmine's a good example, coming out of uh, the Council of Trent, um, taking writings and or taking teachings and then making them applicable and, and expansive uh, right. in a faithful way. You know, Bellarmine was such a great, you'd call him a catechist, but he was a great teacher and explainer. And in a time, of lots of lots of chaos in his life uh, as well within the church and the world. And so that that idea of being someone who can just sort of hand on the tradition, I think is definitely, I, I think that I've heard it said that Benedict is probably the, the most intelligent, brilliant man who's been Pope for many centuries, um, which I, again, I, I think that that's true. And, and so in that sense, he, and he did uh, articulate very well uh, the faith in, in Clair- with clarity and, and insight and stuff. So maybe both, right? Maybe yeah. they're both doctors of the church. That's it's so interesting. Well, when we come back, I'll mention just one final comment about Pope Benedict's writings. Uh, it'll be my proposal, and then you can respond to it. But then we'll dive into some quotes about the sacred heart in connection to the priesthood. Back in a minute with more Sound Insight. Hi, this is Dr. Tom Curran, and you know me as the host of Sound Insight. I am also letting folks know that as a realtor licensed in the state of Washington and in Idaho, I love serving Catholic families and others who are discerning a move for yourselves. It's much more than buying or selling a home. It's discerning a whole new life. If that's something that you would find uh, a help in, if I could be of service to you, please be in touch. You can find out more at drtomcurran.com, drtomcurran.com. Welcome back to the program. This is Tom Curran. It's great to be with you. I'm with Father Nagel, and we're reflecting on uh, Pope Benedict XVI. He passed, he he died a week ago, and his funeral is happening on the day that we're pre-recording this program, which is last Thursday. And uh, Father Nagel and I were just reflecting a bit about the legacy of uh, Pope Benedict, and in particular his writings. If I if I had to propose, Father Nagel, the, if there's something new uh, or fresh or um, bringing about a, a new level of insight into something, it would be uh, Pope Benedict's insights on the nature of time hmm. and time in relationship to theology. Uh, because he... It, when you, as soon as you move into the the category of time, and by the way, his second doctorate was on the understanding of history in Bonaventure, <laughs> and so it's it's a 
it, I can't understand it, to be honest with you. <laughs> <laughs> I, I never it, tried. Like, I never tried. I'm like, all right, I give up. I don't, I cannot follow him. Um, but the category of event and when you when you bring in the dimension of time in the category of event, you all of a sudden touch upon themes that have to do with the past, the present, and the future. You have themes that connect to, for instance, personal presence, encounter. You have uh, themes that are connected to the eschaton, like the 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 final fulfillment of things. But you also connect them to memory, which is obviously a fundamental theme in our life of faith. So the the theme of time strikes me in my own readings of um, of Pope Benedict to be um, something that he breaks open and then has color or it colors or it, it uh, influences the insights that come out of um, some of his other fundamental areas where he is offering teaching. Um, if you if you sense some of those themes, like in, encounter, relationship, the the uh, communion, communication, that sense of the flow of time, the the you know it, you can see how those connect to liturgy, those connect to right. the, the last things. I, I don't know. Does that uh, that that's my thought? Well, you're way ahead of me there, Tom. Um, I I didn't even bother to try to read that kind of dissertation. So I. I think it's interesting what you just said in terms of time being um, a, a place of creativity for him and innovation. But I mean, I don't know his writings well enough to know. Um, you know, so I, I'm taking your word for it and believe you. But um, and I kind of I'm I'm kind of interested in the same thing, just in a really crude low level, and in, as a historian too, the the idea of um, what happens when the event, all those sort of questions. But I, I've never really connected Benedict the 16th with those themes because I guess I didn't know his, his writings well enough. Well, so. we could, uh, I, I'll push that off for another day. Yeah. Let's, let's focus on the quotes because those are something that I think are very engaging and powerful. And, and also they exemplify, I think the point that I, I'm, uh, I just shared. So father, we're going to, um, Break open a bit of some of the what he shared at the homily that launched the year for priests back in 2009 on the solemnity of the most sacred heart of Jesus. And the theme was the heart of God throbs with compassion. So I'm going to read the section, Father, and then have you jump in and, and share some thoughts. Here's the first quote. The heart of God throbs with compassion. On today's solemnity of the Sacred Heart of Jesus, the Church offers us this mystery for contemplation, the mystery of the heart of a God who feels compassion and pours forth all his love upon humanity. It is a mysterious love, which is, which in the text of the New Testament is revealed to us as God's immeasurable love for the human being. He does not give in to ingratitude or to rejection by the people he has chosen. On the contrary, with infinite mercy, he sends his only begotten Son into the world to take upon himself the burden of love immolated so that by defeating the powers of evil and death, he could restore the dignity of being God's children to human beings enslaved by sin. You know, I listening to that oh, first, the first paragraph, um, what they seem, one of the words that just jumped out at me was throbs with compassion. And by that, again, it's a very, um, yeah, I mean, it goes with compassion too, but there's something very human about it. There's something very passionate, not just compassion, but passionate. Um, that there is um, 
I don't know just the depth there that uh, I, I think that in terms of God's love being um, something that's, um, I don't know, that, that's interactive, that is not a passive thing, but something that is filled not only with love, but there's an emotional side of love with me. So I, I do think that that's, um, and I think that goes with the Sacred Heart of Jesus, that whole theme of liturgical and devotional life of the Sacred Heart of Jesus, the the idea of the, just the true drop, the, and I want to say the, <laughs> the, the bloodiness, because that's not really, I'm not sure that's what I'm thinking about, but in terms of the throb, the throbbing heart, there's something that's pulsating, it's action, it's, it's, um, it's engaged with me, and it's deeply, passionately uh, cares. And so that's just kind of the feelings that that paragraph brings up with me. Yeah, and it's interesting because <clears throat> this is a powerful example of someone who is writing in a way that you wouldn't expect in a speculative, systematic right. theologian, right. right? Especially in this present moment of history where it seems like, oh, if you're going to be uh, highfalutin, highly intellectualized and abstract in your theological reflections, it somehow has to be separated from emotion and experiences and language that has to do with states of feeling. And, and I think that's a, that's a, a sad, broken, a, a sad sign of the brokenness of, of today's world. But it is a, an indicator of the way in which um, Ratzinger uh, or Pope Benedict is traced back to Augustine right. uh, and in that tradition. Go ahead. I, exactly. I, that's what I was just thinking in terms of, again, to just sort of char- make a caricature of it. Um, he's not Thomistic. He's not the sort of scholastic. That, that whole side of things, it is very much more um, the patrology of the, the, the doctors of the church, the fathers of the church, um, right, the sort of writing as opposed to some sort of um, abstract Again, I, I realize this is character and simplification, but he, he never really was identified with the whole scholastic Thomistic tradition. He was definitely Augustinian, Bonaventurian, that, that whole side of things, that Platonic rather than Aristotelian, that whole big division there that it comes out here that I, I, the word I was also usually thinking about was mystical. In the sense of you don't you think about in terms of theologians, there can be some kind of dry, abstract things. There could also be very pastoral, where you're dealing about the real world and you're talking about individual. How does this apply with concrete situations? But here you're just talking about the the love of God with the, the human being, the human heart. And again, so I think the whole mystical tradition there should be kept in play as well. Well, and it makes me think about the theme of like desire, right? We've we've had this conversation a number of times over the years. That Augustine, that that fundamental, like mark of the human being, is that we have that longing, that yearning, that desire mm-hmm. for God, and right. that's that's connected to the experience of time. How do we know that we're living in time? Is that we are moving towards a mm-hmm. recovery or a fulfillment of that which is right now empty or unsatisfied? And he's not afraid of using language like throbs and feels compassion. To a God who is um, unchangeable. Mm -hmm. So as a theologian, he's going to say God is immutable and God does not have a quote unquote real relationship to use the Thomistic language, meaning God's not impacted by the things that we do. 
And yet he says, God, in infinite mercy, pours out love to go rescue people and restore to them the dignity of children of God. And he feels compassion and he has a heart that's throbbing. And and to be able to do that. A love that's emulated, emulated. Love emulated, yeah. Like this is this is really striking, and it's not an easy thing to to hold together. But he's not afraid of that. I think that's just so beautiful. And it, it goes against. This is just kind of a quick thing, but it goes against the, the caricature that the media and the modern world have of him as well as being this sort of cold hard, cold hearted sort of doctrinal uh, guard dog. That that that's not him at all. If you actually read his readings, um, yeah. Yes, absolutely. In fact, um, uh, last comment I'll say about this is uh, the number of times that he will say in his writings that if you believe that the practice of your faith is limited to correctly stating doctrines of the church and living a moral life in accord with the, um, the practice of the faith and fulfilling the ritual requirements of the faith, you haven't even started. You right. haven't even entered. You haven't even entered the the. You haven't even started. You haven't crossed the the starting line. That that has to. That goes to the heart. That goes to the encounter. That goes to the pers- being personally addressed and responding in a personal way to the God who's drawn close to you. Mm-hmm. So it's a. It is. It's a. It's a sad caricature, but I think part of that was connected to the job he had, right? Right. his role as a as the prefect for the. Congregation of the Doctrine of the Faith was one of preserving and protecting it was per- the teaching of the church. And the way he did it, though, again, the character comes up with because he, he it's not that he did the job poorly or hard-heartedly, but he did the job at all. And so he wasn't a, a harsh person. I mean, the number of disciplinary actions taken by the CDF during his time were very small. You could probably count them on both hands. And and so there, even later you can see he, this is something he did with clarity, he knew it was important, but he also did it again with patience, and and I think some was char- more charity than some probably deserved in the sense of just waiting things out and just trying. But the fact that he he was clear and he did believe um, was enough to upset a number of people. Well, and to jump way ahead to his decision to resign, um, we don't know for sure why he resigned. But the speculation is that he had um, he had um, asked for a uh, an examination, uh, um, a, 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 t- a thorough look at the current state of things in the Curia, and the report that came back was so overwhelming to him that shortly after that, he he made the decision to resign because the the necessary steps to address what had shown up through this uh, rigorous evaluation and and um, and report was just too much and he wasn't he wasn't the guy to do it right and that just seems to run counter to well if he was a German shepherd right if he was this um, sort of bulldog approach to things he'd be like oh yeah right Let's on. Go. I mean, perfect yeah here's my strategy so, so. anyways that's a that's a just a, a, a by the way um, okay, so the second quote, let's, let's continue to dive in, and then maybe later in the program we'll come back and I'll ask you to speculate on what it was like to um, make that decision to resign. But second quote from a Pope Benedict's homily at the launch of the Year of Priests back in 2009. Dear brothers and sisters, let us pause together to contemplate the pierced heart of the crucified one. 
To be in Christ Jesus is to be already seated in heaven. The essential nucleus of Christianity is expressed in the heart of Jesus. In Christ, the whole of the revolutionary newness of the gospel was revealed and given to us. The love that saves us and already makes us live in God's eternity. You know, the, the idea of to be in Jesus is to be seated in heaven. Um, you know, where Jesus is, heaven is. Uh, where God is, heaven is. Um, and I think that's something, that's a wonderful, um, hope-filled truth that we sometimes think heaven's far away or heaven's strange abstraction, etc. And it's, it's very separate from me as opposed to um, this paragraph is saying, no, um, it's already, it's already here surrounding us. It's new. It's it, just get into the heart of Jesus. Um, and heaven's already started. And so I do think that there's something very valuable to all, for all of us, all the faithful to think about that in terms of heaven, not being at some point in the future, um, explicitly, or that it's some other place, but that it's now in Christ and Christ is here with me and in me. And so that exchange of me being in him and him being in me is the great point of contemplation and also the goal. And so I, I do think that immediacy um, and, and accessibility of heaven is something that jumps out at me here and I think is important in terms of even pastoral practices in terms of um, leading people to God and, and what this can look like in their lives. So this is, a, I think, a great example of the concept of time. Uh, and event, right? So, um, real quickly, the uh, one of the ideas in in Benedict, he doesn't make this up, is that um, that when we think of time, we think of the flow of history from past to future. But we actually live; all of our living is done in the present, which has no extent that we can measure. Because as soon as you start measuring it, you have past and future, right? Mm -hmm. um, but it's the event of the present moment that mirrors eternity the most, that eternity is described theologically, not in terms of the flow of time from past to future, but as the fullness of the present moment. Mm -hmm. And how he's seeing what he's saying is if you are present in the moment of right now, and in that present moment of right now, you're encountering Christ, you're touching the reality of eternity. Mm -hmm. You're touching the reality of the fullness of time. So that's just the first. But then the second is connected to um, the something that I don't think we do realize pastorally uh, and, uh, sufficiently, and that is that a Christian, someone who's been baptized, someone who has experienced the recreation that comes to us and elevates us to be children of God, sharing in the divine life, we already experience some of the peace and joy of being or sharing in the resurrected life here and now, that mm -hmm. foretaste language. And that's not something that everybody has access to. I, I don't think I think we think that existentially everyone has access to the same feeling states, the same existential states. That's just not true. The baptized have a share in, a participation in, a communion with the risen Christ that gives us peace, hope, light. Uh, a, a sense of, of meaning for the now and the future, that those who are not in a living relationship with Christ that is flowing through baptism, they don't have access to that. You're right. I, I think that the, it, it, the pastoral challenge 
uh, not only is to live that as, as witness, but also to be able to speak to that. Uh, because it is, it, it stresses, first of all, the importance of the baptized, obviously, um, that what our baptism means. But it also it stresses the importance of how each right now is so important. Um, that's what ha- what's happening in my life right now. Because again, we can live in the future and we can live in the past and heaven's not there. And so we're not going to experience it as opposed to um, don't miss Christ right now, here and now, because again, there's a forte. You're already seated in heaven doing that. So again, I think there is a pastoral, um, it's a great pastoral strategy, if you want, in terms of the suffering in the world and the way in which people experience their lives in, in the world as opposed to no, don't get too caught up in the fat past and the future because well, Christ is right here now. Um, live it fully, uh, live him fully and, and find him fully right here and encounter him now. Yeah, amen to that. That's Father Kurt Nagel talking about um, Pope Benedict and, and this reflection of his coming from his homily on the uh, Solemnity of the Sacred Heart back in 2009. And uh, we're doing this today to honor him, um, whose funeral was last Thursday, and that's the day that we're pre-recording this. What begins to break? When we come back, more sound insight. Welcome back to the program. This is Tom Kernan with Father Kurt Nagel, and we're reflecting on the uh, life and ministry, the writings of Pope Emeritus Benedict the 16th. And again, continue to pray for the repose of his soul. Please do that. And um, we're going to continue on, Father, unless there's anything else no, you want to say. I'd no. like to read the next quote. Great. The, the next quote is, the evangelist John writes, for God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. Jesus's divine heart, therefore, calls to our hearts, inviting us to come out of ourselves, to abandon our human certainties, to trust in him, and following his example, to make of ourselves a gift of love without reserve. I, I think of this in terms of inviting us to come out of ourselves. It calls to our hearts to come out of ourselves. I see like this little, we have this little shell that's crusted over ourselves, and it starts to break that open to kind of uh, tumble out of that um, in terms of the vulnerability of trusting him. Because I think that's, that is the human experience, I think, early on in, in terms of how can I trust God? Uh, I'm going to get hurt. My sh- if I get out of my shell, um, I can't trust him because it's, something's going to happen to me horribly, as opposed to the idea of, um, no, I can do, this is the only way I can make myself a gift. Again, it goes back to the, that whole idea of the gift in John Paul II's, uh, well, it's everybody's. Um, the gift that we're supposed to make of ourselves to others, that's, that ultimately is the only way we're, we're going to be saved from the vulnerabilities and the pains and sufferings of this world. But I do like that, again, for me, there's that image of kind of, I can see myself in this little husk or shell and to sort of, or the eggshell or something, to break that open um, and just say, here I am, God. Um, do with me as you will. Well, in this, you can see the, this, this evokes that language of encounter, mm-hmm. right? That yeah. famous quote from God is love, that being Christian is not the result of, um, of a, an intellectual idea or uh, an ethical choice, but rather the encounter with an event, a person, which gives life a new horizon and a, um, uh, a concrete direction. Something uh, That was not exactly the quote, but... You know, one thing, I'm sorry, I interrupted. Go ahead. No, no, please. This language also it reminds me of something that, that Benedict was actually involved in the communion liberation 
uh, Jasani. I don't know how familiar you, you are, Tom, with uh, that whole his whole writings, but it's all about event and encounter. And I know that Benedict the Sixteenth. Um, you know, we had John Paul II dealing with Opus Dei quite a bit, but I think Communion Liberation Movement was something that Benedict XVI was was really involved in. So I, I just throw those out there. I myself am not involved in Communion Liberation in any sort of formal way, but I do think that language is is all over there. And so I think that there might be an interconnection there too in terms of Benedict's own, where he got it and how also how he served it back to us. Yes. Well, yeah. The um, the book that I'm most familiar with by Luigi Giussani is The Religious Sense. Mm-hmm. And that book is, it's profound, it's beautiful, and it's definitely um, his languaging of that reality of um, a personal encounter. Right. And what does that actually look like and how does that right. give rise to yeah. um, a sense of relationship with God? And um, that actually, it, it, there's speculation that uh, I mean, uh, I think who's Father Giussani was um, also connected to Pope Saint Paul the mm. Sixth um, when he was the Archbishop of Milan. Uh-huh. He released a, a a letter as Bishop, as Archbishop of Milan, on um, the religious sense, uh-huh. and um, and you see language there that's phenomenological. You see language there that, again, it you see all these like connecting lines between. Um, these great theologians given to our time. Mm-hmm. Um, but you're right, I hadn't thought about that. I hadn't thought about um, the potential influence of Giussani on, uh, on the then Cardinal Ratzinger um, when it comes to this language of encounter. But I think that it, it for us, is a, is, it's one of those constant challenges to say to the faithful, look, it, it's sometimes easier to focus on external things that we can more easily put our hands on. Like I can read a book and I can write down some thoughts. Uh-huh. I can go do some actions that are connected to faith, whether those are religious actions, like even go to mass or um, actions of service. Um, but uh, Pope Benedict keeps pointing us within the mm-hmm. encounter, heart to heart encounter right. that, that let everything that's coming out flow from what has gone in. Yeah, exactly. It goes to the heart to heart. Again, John, John Henry Newman's heart speaks to heart. Um, and that would be something I would apply to Benedict as well in terms of what he's saying here. Um, there there can be that connection there, that gift of love that is, it. again, it's not, some, it's not performative in the sense of something going outward, but it's something that, you know, again, two hearts meeting. You know, Father, uh, there's a beautiful quote. I'm going to go down to quote number seven that... Uh, gets to this point um, very beautifully. But I'll do that after we take a break here on Sound Insight. Back in a minute. Welcome back to the program. This is Tom Kern with Father Kurt Nagel. We're reflecting on a homily that Pope Emeritus Benedict XVI of recent memory, please pray for the repose of his soul, he stated at the beginning of his year for priests, and we're going to read another quote, and Father Nagel can reflect on it. We must never distance ourselves from the source of love, which is his heart that was pierced on the cross. Only in this way will we be able to cooperate effectively in the mysterious plan of the Father that consists in making Christ the heart of the world. This plan is brought about in history 
as Jesus gradually becomes the heart of human hearts, starting with those who are called to be closest to him, priests, precisely. It's kind of a little class for me in terms of uh, trying to find out uh, distance and space and time in, in these sorts of ways. But obviously there's this this idea of distance um, is there brought about a plan through hit about in history. So this kind of uh, language consistencies here is here too, Tom, obviously. Um, but I think this, what struck me, again, the history popped out of me, this plan, so the plan of the father is brought about in history as Jesus gradually becomes the heart of human hearts. So there is something in time there. So there's a, there's a playing out of, this is an unfolding, um, but the idea, the heart of human hearts, this is supposed to something, something that's supposed to be growing in all humanity, of course, here, but but also in me. This idea of there's a process, there, there is a process, interior process in which uh, Christ's heart becomes mine and, and mine is turned over to him. And I think priests, uh, I like these priests, obviously this is about priesthood in the sense of it's the beginning of the year of the priests. But it's a challenge for priests, I think, especially. I think, I think the idea that he ends priests precisely is the end of it. Those who are closest to him, and that's, I think it's more of a challenge than a statement of fact. Um, and so, again, that was something that this idea of, how is that gradual, um, that gradual process happening? The heart of, Jesus becomes the heart of human hearts. Can I say that's happening to me? Um, in me, and can is that happening in the world? Uh, so anyway, I, that's, that's kind of my reflections on that one paragraph. No, that's great. I think that's really powerful because um, in I think in some ways what he's saying is um, when it happens in you, you you become a um, like sort of a dynamic force for it to be able to happen in the world. Yeah, it's kind of like you can't give what you don't have, right? And, right. And calling calling the laity, calling your flock to this kind of life it will um, be more evocative and more powerful and more impactful um, when you're a witness to that which you're um, what that which you're challenging your people to rather than saying well let's all stand here and look at this truth together and then maybe we all can benefit from it is it um, is it I think the foundation for the something I've noticed and I think you probably as well is just a pastoral principle one saint will do more than a thousand pretty holy people. Um, that when this really does happen in somebody, as you say, this this changes others as well. It, it passes on and things like that. Um, so there there is this idea of um, that's out there saying you know how powerful this really is when the heart really the heart really does come into our heart, the sacred heart, because you do see that. It does affect, you know, you can be a priest and a pastor for, in a parish for 10, 20 years and nothing happens and it's dying. Um, on the other hand, you can get somebody in there that's for a short time, but who just has a fire of faith and love working in his heart. And suddenly the whole parish has changed within a short time. It just, it's just, you just see it. This is the way it works. Yeah, it's a great point, Father Nagel. And, and the funny thing is I can say, oh yeah, yeah, yeah I get it. But I don't live it, so I really right. don't get it. Like if I really, <laughs> I've <got> observed it. <laughs> I've observed it happening, but it hasn't. I'm not the the, the spark. Well, but it, it, that's one of those things. So it's like my friend, way back from the seminary, and I'll never forget it. And I keep reminding myself of it. Is he says to me, "Don't tell me what you believe. Let me follow you around for a couple of days, then I'll tell you what you believe." Mm -hmm. Right? Because you really only believe what you live. Yeah. And otherwise, you're just just mouthing things. <laughs> And so you say to me, 
Tom, we all, you know, of course we know that uh, one saint can generate more fruitfulness for God's kingdom than a hundred, you know, pretty holy or, or decently holy people. And it's like, oof, that actually stung me because the way I actually live is I've said that truth in, in different ways to myself, but has it really changed how I actually live? Or do I believe more in my own activity? Yeah, what about the... You know, let me just work harder. Let me do more. <laughs> let me be more clever, more strategic, more tactical. Let me get the latest and greatest and do this, that, and the other thing. And then somehow that's going to yield more fruit. Well, it might generate more activity, but is it yielding more fruit? No, that's holiness. That's something that... Uh, that's a good thing just for me to hear because in terms of evangelization, those programs and the activity, et cetera, if it's not coming from the sacred heart beating within the, 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 the person who's doing it, it's, it's, it's going to be marginally, marginally fruitful as opposed to, and you know, you've, you've known speakers, you've known your own talks when it's really worked, uh, when it's really been alive. There's just, a, I've had homilies that I know the Holy Spirit's speaking here, not me. And I've had lots of homilies where I say, this is me speaking and it's, it's true and it's kind of good. But, um, as opposed to sometimes you say, no, wait a minute, something just happened here. And so again, the idea of the real, the real program of, of evangelization is sanctification and how's that going to, I mean, that can happen often, usually outside of programs and things. It's that personal encounter. Yeah. It, it's not an easy thing. Like, I mean, it's, uh, it's easier to say it than it is to <laughs> yeah. really implement it because, you know, <laughs> you awesome. and I are both on a schedule today, right? Yeah. Oh, we had to show up by this time and we're going to record and then we're going to go off to the next thing and, and I've got more stuff to do. But it's a matter of saying, whatever else happens, I must not let myself betray the most fundamental thing of all that's at the root of any fruitfulness that comes, which is communion with Christ. Yes. Profound, transformative loving union with Christ in faith, hope, and love. Um, is everything else rooted in that? Is everything else for the sake of that? Is everything else flowing from that? Yeah, so great reflection, Father, and very challenging. But that actually leads us to, I think, a final quote, which is a beautiful one, number eight. Even our shortcomings, our limitations, and our weaknesses must lead us back to the heart of Jesus. Dear priest, the call to conversion and recourse to divine mercy applies also to us, and we must likewise humbly address a heartfelt and ceaseless invocation to the heart of Jesus to keep us from the terrible risk of harming those we whom we are bound to save. So that's a hard-hitting paragraph for priests. Um, the risk of harming those we are bound to save. I mean, that's... Um, but I do think that the idea of the humility to recognize because we do fail. Um, you know, again, how many times have we said, I've said, God is number one. And if somebody were to follow me around like your friend would wanted to do to you, they would say, oh, I, I don't see that, Father. Uh, doesn't seem like God's number one in your life. But that, that whole idea of recognizing, hey, it's not working. But I, I think it's important to have had the experience of knowing, seeing when it has worked in terms of the Holy Spirit working in somebody's words and actions. It might be occasions of, of your own life, or it might be somebody else you know. Or, it, 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 but it, I mean, that's part of conversion. I think is is recognizing the reality, so that I can also recognize the fall, the fall that I'm failing here. Um, I'm doing it myself. I'm, I'm I'm falling on my face. But to be able to get back up there and at least even point to that, and saying, "Well, that's not it. That has some value to it." To be able to point, okay, there that there it is. But also say, okay, this behavior is not it. This 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 strategy is not it. This is a failure. To be able to that that can also be something that um, 
not only helps other people, but it opens your heart to the sacred heart. So I do think that we, we're all going to have shortcomings and limitations and weaknesses, but that, that's zero excuse. In fact, the pathway, if, if taken rightly, the pathway to the heart of, of Jesus. Yeah, I love that, Father. Uh, I mean, it's a great last reflection here. We just have about a minute left. And that idea that when I, when I fall, and I do fall, it gives me an opportunity to a fresh encounter with the mercy of Jesus. Mm-hmm. And it, it's one of those things where God permits evil so that good can come from it. And so when we do fall, and I do fall, and folks, you do fall, uh, don't just don't just like stay in the fall, <laughs> right? Come back to Jesus and experience a fresh new beginning with the encounter of mercy. I'll give you the last, uh, you get the 30 seconds, Father. I would just say, you know, I one of the reactions I had to Pope Benedict's uh, death was I, I just miss him. I think it came forward when I I had forgotten a lot, but when I heard about him, I said, "Yeah, I've, I've missed him." And so I uh, hope he's praying for us. I'm sure he will be. And so I pray for him, offer mass for him, but uh, I also hope and pray for his prayers. He's one of the. My final word is he was one of the the figures in the church that gave me a sense of hope for the future. That the way that he had such confidence in God, confidence in God's plan for the world, it gave me a sense of saying, okay, someone way holier and smarter than I am is living this stuff so profoundly. It just gave me a sense of confidence to give myself to Christ that much more fully and trust that, again, a smarter, holier, wiser, older man um, a priest of God, etc. Um, he lived this stuff. It just was very comforting to me. All right. Amen. Thank you so much for being with me and Father Nagel today. God bless you. Join me tomorrow for more Sound Insight.